I want to welcome everyone here again this morning. Uh, I guess summer is officially getting here. I think it's supposed to get up to close to 90 today. So uh, the air conditioners are cranking up. And then you start getting those big old three or $400 energy bills every month, right? Well, some of you do anyway, like it's not everybody. All right, well, it's good we have an air-conditioned building where we can come in and worship the Lord, so uh, we can uh, praise God for that. Uh, do have a few announcements we need to make before we begin. Uh, just learned that Sister Lois Eldridge is going to be uh, moving to Mississippi in a couple weeks, so she just gets back and then she's leaving us. So, but that's a good thing. She's going to be with family there, so uh, she's, uh, we're, we're going to miss her, but uh, we wish her Godspeed as well. So uh, just remember her and her travels. Uh, as we mentioned uh, last week, Melba Phillips uh, did pass away uh, in, in Hickson, Tennessee. Actually, I don't think we did mention that last week. That was this week. But uh, please remember Jennifer, her granddaughter, who here and the Phillips family, who were former members here uh, in your prayers at this time uh, with her passing. Um, this past week, Sandy Cole had been in the hospital Northside for Scythe and has been living with a woman. And while she was um, in the hospital, this woman passed away that she'd been living with unfortunate situation so she's now home with her daughter but uh she, just remember sandy and that family as well uh with a, that was a strange situation there uh but please remember them carolyn burnett's going to be having outpatient knee replacement on the third so please remember carolyn and burnett family forrest paul is scheduled to have some uh cancerous spots removed from his back and then virginia's wife's got some upcoming surgeries virginia's been having some issues for a long time so Please remember that family as well. And Jennifer McCoy's had good reports on her recent test, so that's good news. So several we need to be remembering. Anybody else that we need to be uh, mentioning in today? No? All right, let's go to the Father in prayer before we begin. Our Father in heaven, we honor you and we praise you as our God and Father, and we just thank you, Father, for the blessings that you've given to us in our personal lives and our families. And we thank you for the blessings of, that you've uh, given us through this congregation of your church, and Father, we just thank you for uh, your willingness to send your son, to show your great love for us that you'd be willing to sacrifice your son on our behalf, Father. We ask you to be with those who've been mentioned here today who are sick or ailing or suffering a loss, Father. We ask you to be with them, help them to be healed and comforted, and help us to know how to uh, minister to them as, as brothers and sisters in, in the church and the kingdom, Father, that we might be able to edify and encourage them and help them uh, be back with us to their health and to be, be back to their full strength, Father. As you be, be with us in our studies here today, that we might continue to be able to uh, learn things from your word that we can apply in our lives and put into practice to help us grow spiritually and help us to be able to be a good example and, and teacher to others around us in our, in our families, in our communities, and wherever that is. And Father, we ask you to be with this nation at this time as um, we ask that you... Uh, but have, help our leaders to have a heart that's willing to seek out your will and seek out the right things to do uh, as they lead this nation and, and our, even locally in our, in our uh, government and in our daily lives. Father, we ask you to be with us in whatever we're doing that we might remember that we are first part of the kingdom even though we have to live in this world. We are not of the world, we are of the kingdom and help us to remember that and everything that we do and say and, uh, and keep that first and foremost in our minds. Father, we thank you for Jesus, uh, for without him we'd have no hope, and uh, he does give us that great hope to eternity with you in heaven, Father, and we just thank you for that, and we thank you, for, and we pray this prayer at this time in his name, amen. 
Okay, so if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, uh, you know we're taking on a discussion of baptism and what that means exactly. And uh, last week we talked a little about baptism and, uh, in the teaching and preaching of Paul, Paul the Apostle. And we read many verses and saw a lot of stuff about what Paul had to say, particularly in Romans 6. And, and I, I want to continue to harp on Romans 6 because Romans 6, the, the example that Paul gives us about water baptism is such a, a visual image, right, that we can relate to. Um, talks about being buried with Christ in baptism, right? And you can, you can just see that in your mind. You know, you're buried into the water, and you're raised up, you're resurrected with him to newness of life. We read about that in Romans 6, 4, and 5. That's such a great image, and, and if you're ever talking with someone, and I'm sure many of you have, talk with someone who doesn't believe baptism is, is a necessary thing for salvation, you may have had to refer to that. And it's a great example to refer, because it kind of shows you what it's all about. So we talked about that with Paul, and we talked about what he was saying in those verses when he's writing to the church of Rome. And then in our first lesson, a couple weeks ago, we saw where Peter included baptism as part of his apostolic preaching, right? Uh, he preached the first sermon that we can read about there in Acts 2, right? And how he said, or he told those who were convicted because they realized that Jesus was the Son of God that they had just crucified, that they needed to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. We read that in Acts 2.38. He commanded them at Pentecost to be baptized. And then we can also read in Acts 10. In fact, let's go back over there and just look at that real quick. We read that a couple weeks ago, but let's go to Acts 10 and just read what he said when he was talking to Cornelius, the centurion. And we, we can set that up. We'll talk about this further in a few weeks, but, you know, Cornelius was the Gentile. Uh, he was a devout man. And God sent Peter a vision and said, look, in this vision, he realized he was able to go to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. He didn't fully understand that until he got there and he saw that the Spirit had been poured out on Cornelius and his family. And then in verse 47, he said this. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and then they asked him to stay a few days. So we're going to talk about that a little further later, but you notice there he had been baptized in the Spirit, but Peter said he needs water. He still needs to be baptized in the water. He still needs to be baptized just as we had, just as Peter and the apostles and the rest of the disciples had done. So we see it involves remission of sins. We see it involves water. But... People might still ask, well, is Peter teaching that baptism is truly for forgiveness of sin? Is Peter teaching that it's absolutely necessary for salvation? Can one actually be saved through baptism in water? Those are questions. I'm sure you've probably pondered that many times. You may have had discussions with folks about that, right? Well, in Peter's teaching, we don't have to wonder, actually. In his first epistle, he wrote something that's very interesting. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Turn over to the letter of 1 Peter, and we're going to read a few verses from that letter that he had. 
And I know many of you have probably seen this verse many times, and it is an interesting passage. We're going to talk about this today. Let's read beginning in verse 18 of chapter 3, 1 Peter 3, uh, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype, which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So here we have an interesting passage from Peter, right? Where he says, and in the King James Version, baptism doth also now save us. Well, he's teaching water baptism here, right? And it's very easy to understand because he's making a reference to Noah, right? Noah was saved in the flood, right? He built the, he built the ark, him and his family. They, uh, the flood came, covered the earth, killed all those who were on the earth. But Noah and his family came through that, through the water. So we have what's called an antitype, right? That's a long word in the Greek. It's antitupon, meaning you have something that's a type or real, and you have something else that's related to it, right? Heard that word many times. He's referring to baptism as an antitype of the flood. Well, does this mean that he's saying that baptism is actually what saves you? Is that what he's saying here? Is it actually the water that saves you? Because, you know, Noah was, was in the ark. He wasn't actually in the water. But is that what he's saying here? Well, let's, let's take a look at that. You have two things here that relate to one another. A type and an antitype, as I've said. And... In the text, the waters of the flood are the type. The waters of baptism would also be the antitype. And they relate to each other. He's referring back to one another. In fact, he uh, quotes here in your outline, if you have one, the uh, Albert Barnes commentary. And I'm just going to read what he says here. Albert Barnes says, The meaning here is that baptism corresponded to or had a resemblance to the water by which Noah was saved. Or that there was a use of water in the one case which corresponded in some respects to the water that was used in the other in effecting salvation. In other words, the apostle does not say that it corresponded in all respects to quantity or manner of application or to efficacy, but there is a sense in which water performs an important part in our salvation as it did in his. So, Barnes is saying there is an importance here. He's referring back to the flood. Noah was saved from the flood. He came through the water. There's definitely a reference here that he's referring back to baptism. So is he saying the water is what saves you? Well, let's look on. Before we do that, though, let's go over to Genesis. I want you to just read a few a verse here. And let's look, at, let's look at how Noah was actually saved, okay? We have that reference to the flood. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6 and read a few verses here. Genesis chapter 6, and let's begin in verse 5. 
Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. By the way, notice that verse. If you think the world is going to pot now, can you imagine what it was like then? It's interesting how in your present time, you can think this has to be the worst time ever, ever, right? Kind of think that sometimes. I know that's kind of pessimistic, kind of dreary, but it's happened before. It's not the first time. It's continually done that over and over and over in history. Read on. Uh, where was I? And, okay, verse 6. And the Lord said, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Interesting statement, is it not? Let's look over in Hebrews and see what else it says about Noah. Hebrews chapter 11. Let's just look over there and see what he says. And let's look at verse, uh, oh, let's start with verse uh, 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Hmm. So Noah had faith. Interesting, isn't it? And in fact, obviously he had faith, right? He he spent years building an ark as people around him were laughing at him and thinking, you're an idiot. Why are you doing that? He had faith. Kind of relates to us a little bit, doesn't it? Right? We do things through faith and we have people think, you're an idiot. Why are you doing that, right? Noah had faith. And then we read there in 1 Peter 3, through water, the flood, through the flood, he was saved through the flood. Interesting. So water was involved. So we had grace on God's part there with Noah. We have faith on Noah's part there. And then we have the water. Well, let's look at how we are saved. Go over to letter of Ephesians, chapter 2 there. And let's just read a few verses starting in verse 4. Ephesians 2. But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2, 5. We have grace, saved through grace. We have faith through our faith. Same way as Noah. The grace is on God's part. He does, he has the grace, provides the grace to you who were dead in your trespasses, as it says, but have been made alive through your faith, through his grace and your faith. And then in 1 Peter 3, 21, he talks about that baptism being saved. You see, grace is God's, faith is ours. Baptism is the element by which God carries out his plan 
to save us through the water? No, through the blood of Christ. Hmm, interesting, okay, okay. Not sure I understand that yet. You're saying water baptism saves us, but now you're saying it's through the blood of Christ. How can this be? I mean, we, we're saved by the blood of Christ, right? But you're telling me water baptism saves us. What's up with that? Because water baptism is somehow related to our salvation, Peter could speak of it as an antitype that saves us, right? He could use that as an example, just as Noah and his family were saved through the water. Well, how is it that baptism interacts with the blood of Christ? How does that happen? All right? Salvation is not found in the water. I mean, that's obvious from Scripture, right? We should know that. And if you struggle with that, and I can see how sometimes you might struggle with that a little bit, because you do have a lot of statements saying water is, it saves us. It's not in the water. Peter makes this very clear. He says in verse Peter 3.20 there, in 21, not, it's not the removal of the filth of the flesh. In other words, we're not, being, have, we're not having our sins washed away by the water. Yeah, you, you could think of it like a bath, I guess, and you say, yeah, you wash, you wash filth away. But that's not what's happening here. Peter says you're saved through baptism, but that's not what's happening. It's the blood of Christ. <clears throat> Turn over to Romans 5. Let's read passage from there. Romans 5, beginning in verse 6. He says, For when we were still without strength, and this is Paul, by the way, not Peter, but for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of a son, but much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. For, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We are justified through his blood. It's not the water. That's simply the element that we come in contact with it. Turn over to Ephesians. Letter of Ephesians. Read a passage from there. Verse 7. Ephesians 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. We are redeemed through his blood, and that's his purpose, his plan for us to be saved. So, it's not the water, it's the blood. Baptism is an antitype of the flood through which we come in contact with the blood. Now, how does that work exactly? Well, first of all, let's look at 1 Peter again. I know we're jumping around, but I want you to see these verses and make sure you understand what we're saying here. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and look at verse 17. And if you call on the Father 
who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with the corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So here we have Peter in the same letter where he referred to your saved by baptism, also referring to being saved through the blood of Christ. So Peter knew that. Peter was not saying the water actually saves you. That's how we get in contact with the blood. That's the element through which we're taken. Noah was saved through the water. We are saved through the water in that respect. So, how is it that we're saved through the water? How is it that we come in contact with that blood? Turn over to 1 Corinthians. Let's read a few verses from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's begin in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. I'm trying to do a little slower. I know I go a little fast sometimes, so I hear pages turn. I'm trying to let you get there. <coughs> and I am going too fast. Somebody just tell me. All right? Church is say, slow down. All right? 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? I guess some were saying that, right? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in this life only, and if this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. What's Paul saying there? If Christ hasn't risen, this is just a joke. We're idiots. And we're still in our sins. He says, just dying didn't complete it. Sure, he had to die. He had to shed blood for our sins. Boy, it really is a kicker. And we've talked about this a lot in the last few weeks, especially in John, right? With the apostles, the disciples who were doubting when he went to the cross. But once they saw he was raised, oh man, it really kicked into them then. They fully understood. And they were motivated. You see, it's not just the death. It's the resurrection. We know, because he was raised again, that we can be raised too. And through that watery grave of baptism, we pass through, and then we come up. Symbolically raised, and what do we say in Romans 6, 4 and 5? To newness of life. Interesting, isn't it? It's how that, how that takes place. Those baptists in his death can rise to walk in newness of life. United with all believers in his death and all believers in his resurrection. You see, that's the true power of the gospel, is that resurrection. Christ was raised from the dead. 
And because of that, we know that same God who had the power to raise Jesus from the dead will, as he has promised, raise us from the death. I mean, from the death, from physical death, but also in this life we have passed through that watery grave of baptism and are raised to newness of life. Remember how we talked about how we can have that abundant life? Gospel of John wrote about that a lot. And how we talked about really we've already begun that eternal life, that abundant life that's going to continue after we die. Because we have been raised to newness of life through the baptism. Can you kind of see that picture now? You can kind of see how that relates, how that makes a little sense there? So when someone would tell you, well, it's not necessary, well, how do I get into the kingdom? How do I get into newness of life? I have to be raised again, right? John 3, 5, you've got to be born of the water and the spirit to enter the kingdom. So, in other words, that same power, as I said, has raised you from the dead, and it saves us. So in that sense, as we read in Colossians 2 last week, we have been made alive through our baptism. It's not the water, but God's grace and resurrecting power that allows baptism, as Peter would refer to, saving us, to save us, right? Not because of any cleansing power, not because of what we've done or any work that we've completed. It's all him. It's through his grace, our faith in that grace, our faith in him, our belief that he can raise us up, that we should understand that's how baptism comes into play. And then notice something else here finally in this passage that Peter says. Turn back over to 1 Peter 3 there and let's just read that to remind ourselves. He says, <clears throat> verse 21, there's also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. And then notice that last phrase, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to pay attention to that. Not, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Now, I am using the New King James. Your translation probably has it a little differently. Some might say, there, uh, there, there's other translations that say craving for conscience, right with God. Prayer, it's a prayer for a clean conscience before God. Uh, it's a request unto God for a good conscience or an appeal to God for a clear conscience or an appeal to God for a good conscience. You might see something like that in that phrase. But whatever it is, it, it's, it's, that's a little bit of a difficult phrase to understand, isn't it? I mean, what's he actually saying there? What, what does that mean? I mean, we understand clearing our conscience, right? And how do we do that? I mean, you have children, right? They don't, well, they're all perfect, right? And you've probably told them that before, right? You need to come clean. When they did something that you knew they did, they're not owning up to. Ever said that to your kid? Ever said that to another friend or something? You need to come clean. In other words, you need to clean your conscience. You need to clear your conscience. You need to confess. Own up to it. Become whole. Wash your sins away in a sense. That's pretty much what we're talking about here. You see, you're baptized 
and raise the newness of life. And what the phrase is pretty much saying is, I'm appealing, I'm petitioning God for a clean conscience. What it, how did you feel after you were baptized? You feel pretty good? I mean, you had a, you had a good feeling, right? That I'm, I'm free. I'm clean. Clean slate, right? Of course, that doesn't mean you're not going to sin again and then things happen, but at that moment, you're clear. You've owned up to your sin. Confess that to the Lord. You confessed his name. And you begin that process. You've repented and you've begun that process of becoming a disciple of Christ. And in that process, you are growing spiritually, becoming more like Christ, hopefully every day. So we petition God for a clear conscience. When one is baptized, they have a desire for that clear conscience, right? A desire to have those sins forgiven. So this kind of coincides with the purpose of baptism, right? The apostles preached and they taught baptism. They commanded it, as we said in Acts 2, for the remission of sins. And in New Testament time, people were baptized, as we've noticed, we talked about a couple weeks ago, and they wanted to do it then because they wanted to have that clear conscience. They wanted to have that forgiveness. Acts 8, 35 and 38, we read about who? The eunuch, right? What did the eunuch say as they're traveling along? Philip's preaching the gospel to him, and he says, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? He wanted to do it then. He was ready to clear his conscience. ready to make that petition to God. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, beginning in verse 11. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the, great, with, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of his creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. We have our sins washed away by the blood of Christ. We rise to new life, and we have grasped or seen that power. You may not have thought about it that way, but you are seeing the power of God when that happens. You are being forgiven, truly forgiven. Think about that for a minute. We talk about forgiveness, right? Someone's done you wrong. Someone's hurt you or whatever and and they may come to you and say I, I'm sorry I need forgiveness and and you should forgive them you know if you love them especially in those things and we're, we're taught that in scripture but as humans do we really forget that do we 
ever wipe that out of our memories? In fact, as we go on through our lives, isn't that kind of still there? Something's going to still be there with that, right? In fact, if you still have to interact with that person later in life and something else comes up, you might remember that one before, even though you forgave them, right? But with the power of God, that's different. He forgets it. It's gone. White clean. It's something that you never have to worry about again. It's over. You've been reconciled. You've been redeemed. Not by anything you did, by what God has done for you. I wanted to mention Hebrews there because it talks about Christ being the high priest. Uh, I know we've had studies of Hebrews. I know Brother Ben and some others. I've had a, a, a class on that before. Hebrews is the great book that talks about the priesthood, okay? And if you don't fully understand the priesthood of the, of the Jews, of the Israelites, you need to study Hebrews because it lays it out for you and you can fully understand things that you read about in the Old Testament. But what the Hebrew writer is saying is you no longer need the sacrifices you no longer need all of the Levitical practices that were going on. You no longer need a high priest who once a year went into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement for forgiveness of the Israelite sins, which really didn't forgive them. It wasn't until the pure Lamb of God shed His blood for us that that happened. And now he is our high priest. Don't need the high priest anymore. If you read about that in Hebrews, there was a high priest in Israel for probably, well, up until about 70 AD or so. They still had a high priest. They still carried on the Levitical practices. That's why the writer of Hebrews has to explain some things because a lot of the Christians were still going through some of those practices. And he's saying, don't need that anymore. Christ is all you need point being is when he died, he died one time for all time. And because of your faith in his grace, his work, you are now clear. Your conscience is cleared and you have that high priest who was, by the way, reigning in his kingdom, who we are now children of, as your mediator before the Father. So we continually, as 1 John says, walking in the light, constantly being clean in that blood. It just doesn't end right there. We were raised to newness of life. But now as a child of God, we're constantly being washed in that blood. Through that water grave of baptism, raised to newness of life, we come in contact with. So many say, baptism does not save us. But we might say, well, look at 1 Peter 3. Peter says it did. Peter says, baptism doth now save us. But remember, how does it do that? And that can be confusing at times, right? Yes, Mr. Stan?
making the appeal. Great point, great point. Yeah, so we are appealing to the Father for salvation when we were baptized, laid in that watery grave and raised in his life. It is an appeal for that clear conscience. Stan was saying, yeah, absolutely. Interesting you said Acts 22 because I was about to quote it. But yeah, that's great. (laughs) Baptism saves us, according to Peter, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? It's not the water. And don't be confused by that, all right? It is the resurrection that we have the hope that we go through the process of baptism, being raised in newness of life, and we make that appeal for good conscience or clear conscience. All right, that's what Peter's talking about here. All right? By doing that, we have forgiveness of sin. So maybe this helps us to understand why we have the commandment in Acts 2 for remission of sins, right? If you think about that, you might have had someone say, well, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, when he says, uh, "Being ba- repent and be baptized for, the Greek word ice, E-I-S, could also mean because of, right? And you may have had someone tell you that before. Well, that verse actually, is, he's saying, repent and be baptized because you already have remission of sins. But if you read 1 Peter, that really doesn't make sense, right? Baptism now saves us through, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of an appeal for good conscience. So if that's occurring at that time, it kind of makes it hard to say you already have remission of sin. Make sense? Yes? No? It's through His grace, through our faith, we go through the water raised to newness of life, thereby becoming children of God, residing in his kingdom where he is now reigning. So is baptism essential to salvation? Well, we should let the preaching and teaching of, of Christ and his apostles provide that answer, right? It's not what we think. It's not our opinion. We need to look at the scripture. And if you ever have a discussion with someone, perhaps that's what you need to do. Oh, sure, I know. When you, when you discuss something, well, they have their verses, we have our verses. But you need to really have a study of it. You can't just throw things around like that. However, someone says that. The best verse that I've ever seen to go refer to it is Mark 16, right? Mark 16, let's just read it. Beginning of verse 14. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. I mean, 
that statement seems pretty plain to me. There's that and, remember the conjunction? Both pieces refer to the verb and to the preposition. Yet I've had someone tell me, well, you've got to read the second part of that. He leaves out baptism in the second part. Yeah, you can wordsmith any phrase you want. But the point is, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? And you can read Peter's version in saying baptism saves us. How? Well, through that resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, when do we come in contact with his blood? That's when we go through that watery grave of baptism and raised in newness of life. Romans 6. <clears throat> so, as Stan said, Acts 22, 16 is another verse. Let, let's just go over there and look at it. Because Mark 16 and Acts 22, if anybody wants to tell me baptism is not essential, that's where I'm going, okay? Mark 16 first, and probably to Acts 22. I might have to go explain some stuff about Paul's conversion, but let's just read it again. Beginning of verse 12, actually, Acts 22. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him, and then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? There's that urgency. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Washing away his sins, not because of the water, but through the blood of Christ, his resurrection, and as Stan said, making that appeal through a clear, clear conscience. I would urge you, if you haven't done that, I would imagine most of you most of you in here have. But if there's anyone that's not done that, today's the day to do it. Perfect day for it. It's hot outside, might as well stay in here where it's cool and obey the gospel. I'm just saying. All right, our time is up. Thanks for being here.